0: Hardly a day goes by that I don't think back over my life since the risen Lord came into it. Living high over a rocky ridge above the beach where the Mediterranean flows into the harbor at Joppa, I often saw small ships capsize or wreck on the rocks. Before I knew Jesus... I gave little thought to the consequences for families of the seafaring men who died bringing supplies from Spain that were so vital to Jerusalem. But the coming of the Christ changed my thinking in many directions. When his disciples came to our town, preaching and performing their miracles in the name of Jesus, a feeling difficult to describe, came into my heart. Peace, I think it was. No, more than that, a feeling of well-being, a feeling of love for all people. I knew I wanted to do something. I must do something to help those poor, unfortunate women and children facing a life of poverty. And so I am Invited them into my home, "'filling their gnawing, empty stomachs with nourishing food. "'I watched as the children ate like little scavengers, "'their eyes darting here and there, "'as if they expected the food to be snatched from them. "'I noticed their ragged clothing, "'having always been good with a needle.' I set about to patch and mend the garments they had on. The children would come and sit at my knee as I sewed, and we would sing songs and play games. We talked about the Messiah, and their eyes grew wide with wonder when I told them how Jesus had performed miracles, even bringing the dead Lazarus to life again. The mothers began to come and listen, too, and when I suggested they seek out the disciples when they visited Joppa, many went and gave their lives to the Christ. I was amazed by the changes that came over these women when they put their faith in the Messiah. Their inner cleansing seemed to bring an outer cleansing as well. Not only did Their children begin showing up with shiny hair and clean clothes. But each woman began to take pride in her own appearance. They all begged me to teach them to sew. I felt their love for me and it was gratifying. But they embarrassed me when they reminded me that my name, Dorcas, meant beautiful. I never thought of myself as beautiful but I suppose mother hoped that I would grow up to be a beauty when she named me. We grew to love each other, these women and children and I. They became my family and I continued to help them as much as I could. I even began to seek out the beggars on the street in order to feed and clothe them as well. Many had little family and depended on one person to bring them to the gate to sit and beg each day. Of course, I was criticized for it by some, but the gratitude in the eyes of the recipients was reward enough to make me continue. They realized that you need not do some great thing in the eyes of men, but a small service in the name of Jesus, is blessed by the Father.
1: So the story of Dorcas that we just heard, or or Tabitha, is this little-known story that's not often talked about that comes out of Acts chapter 9. It's the first time anywhere in Scripture where one of Jesus' followers, this time being Peter, does something that Jesus did during his ministry in raising another person from the dead. But really what we were were just looking at is the backstory of Dorcas, is is who she is. She developed this reputation as someone who was always serving other people. She was always looking out for her neighbors. Now I imagine that that sometimes she became friends with the people who she served. And though I don't picture her to be one of those kind of big, boisterous personalities who's always on the, the street corner preaching, I imagine... That the way that she lived, the acts of charity that she showed, the the time that she spent serving other people, that that those times led to conversations about faith. After all, she she considered herself to be one of Jesus' followers. She considered herself to be a disciple, so she was living out what Jesus asked of his followers. Now, you might be able to think of a person like Dorcas, like, like Tabitha. A person whose heart just constantly beats for serving other people. But for, for these kinds of folks, it, it just comes naturally that they're always there. They're always willing to help no matter how late, no matter what time of day. They're just always willing to serve. Now, I can think of plenty of, of you in our congregation that, that fit this mold. You're wired this way. Some are deacons, some are elders, some sing in the choir or volunteer with students or, or children, and, and some, some of you prefer to be in the background, constantly finding ways to serve in our community without ever being seen or acknowledged, and, and thank you. But the truth is, it's not just about what we do in and around the church. It's also not just about going on mission trips or participating in fundraisers to support worthy causes. Now, now don't get me wrong, please. Those Those are good, good things. But taking what Jesus taught about loving our neighbors is something that we are called to do each and every day with everyone we meet. And sometimes... Doing that well takes discipline, or at the very least, it takes being very intentional with how we use our time each and every day. So when Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they record Jesus's last moments with the disciples, they they tend to focus on what happens around the table. It's what we talk about during communion. But the Gospel of John records something a little different. It records something that looks a little different about what happened at that meal. They're gathered for the Passover festival and Jesus knew that his time had come. And then John includes this very important line in John chapter 13, the tail end of verse 1. John writes, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There's a a turning point in John's gospel right around the end of chapter 12 and the beginning here of chapter 13. Earlier in the gospel of John, Jesus spoke more globally. Think think about the well-known passage in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's, It's the big picture. But here, and really in the next few chapters, it, it goes from kind of global to more personal. Jesus sets apart his own followers, his disciples, as his own, and he starts to direct them with phrases like, as my father sent me, so I send you. It's a distinction that, that's important because when we think of who's supposed to follow Jesus's example, he's talking to his followers After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So so Jesus, he he does three things here. First, he he, he got up. He got up from dinner. A, A typical foot washing would have taken place at the beginning of the meal as they entered the room, not in the middle of it. So so Jesus wanted to do this himself and he wanted this act to stand out. So Jesus got up and then he he takes off his outer clothes and he puts puts on a a waiter's towel. Now, this act is often interpreted as a a metaphor for his ministry and a metaphor for his his purpose. And, And for a moment, he sets aside the authority that God had given him, the authority that he had as as being God. And he puts on a garment of servanthood. And then he he pours water and washes their feet. He he bends to the ground to serve them, to clean them. More foreshadowing of of what he does for us on the cross. When he gets to Simon Peter, Peter lashes out, starting at at verse 6. Peter says this, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So so Peter, he says, I'm all in. Don't just stop with my feet. I'm completely committed. Wash all of me. But of course, we know what happens later. Peter, he denies knowing Jesus altogether. Now, there's a really important lesson for us with, with what this messy situation is. It's important that, that, that Peter, he, he comes to following Jesus and he's, he's all in one moment and then questioning later. It's very human. Now, I don't at all believe that he doubted his commitment or that his denial later is an example of him kind of flip-flopping in his faith. His words are honest, his words are true, and I think he was surprised himself by them. Now, if I'm honest with myself, sometimes that happens to me as well. I, I say one thing in the heat of the moment and then and then go back and say, Really? Huh. Well, Did, did I really just, just say that? I can't tell you how many times over the last few months while we've been doing these digital services where I've come in and I've I've recorded the the sermon and then I've watched it later on Sunday with all of you and I've thought, oh, did I really say that? Did did I really, shoot, I should have said something different. I should have used a different word. I should have used a a different illustration. When Peter asks for a bath, Jesus responds with, look, look, you don't need a bath. That, that's not what this is about. Now, remember, the ceremonial washing would have taken place typically before the meal. The whole purpose of Jesus's actions here were, were to illustrate that he came to serve and to call them to do the same thing. Then we pick up at, at verse 12, reading this. Very truly, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Jesus's foot washing isn't just an illustration of what God does through Jesus's life, death and resurrection. It also shows us how how we should actually live in mutual service and submission with good hospitality and with forgiveness and patience. It's an act that doesn't just teach us about the Christian gospel, what we believe. It's also an act that, that teaches us about the Christian ethic, what we do, how we live. What we what we believe and what we do, they need to go hand in hand with one another. So, so here's what we're going to do. After you finish with today's service, after you finish washing this, I want you to go and get a, a bucket of water and a towel. I want you to, to go knock on your neighbor's door and ask them if you can wash their feet. I'm joking, and if you were in the sanctuary, I'd be able to see if you were really laughing. In the church world, we often think of serving in kind of the big picture ways. We think of the things like mission trips or participating in a local serve day. And those, those are great. As I said before, those are important. And I don't want to discourage us from participating and serving in those ways. But I also want to suggest kind of three different ways that we can serve others, even in the season that we are living in right now during this, this pan, pandemic. Pandemic. Three ways that we can develop a routine or a discipline of service. The the first is often referred to um, as as the ministry of the mundane. We spend most of our our lives in this place. It's the place where we, we see a spouse or a child in need of encouragement or a neighbor who needs help cleaning up their yard. We don't need a program to serve in this place. And in my mind, it's the place where Dorcas or Tabitha thrived. It's where she lived. It was just in the ministry in, of the mundane. Now, when we serve in this place, we, we begin to build this, this deep and more intimate community, even in the midst of our neighborhoods. And if we want to be a church, a church community whose presence is felt in our communities, it starts where we live. It starts where we live with our our everyday life, the ministry of the mundane. Now, along the lines of the ministry of the mundane is this this practice of of being available, of simply allowing ourselves to be interrupted. It's the reminder that the people around us are more important than the task that is in front of us. So so that means when I'm working on a sermon at my house, and and we're all working from home right now, so when I'm working on a sermon from my house and one of my kids barges into the room and and he or she want to play Legos with me or, or, or go and ride their bike, I'm serving them simply by being interruptible, simply by being available. Now, Jesus modeled this all the time. There's the story of when he heals the woman who had been sick for 12 years. Many of us know this story. She stops him while he's on his way to somewhere important. And how different would it have been if instead of stopping and asking who touched him, he just said, someone touched me, but I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I've got places to go. I've got mission trips to organize. I've got sermons to preach. I've got programs to plan. No, that's not what he does. He gives her attention. He's interruptible. He's available. His willingness to be interrupted provided for a a life-changing moment of ministry, both for him and for those who are watching him. So what needs to change for you to be available in the inevitable interruptions that are going to come your way? Sometimes it's our priorities, it's our our mindset. Simply recognizing that the people that are around us are more important than the task is in front of us. Sometimes it's it's our our pace, just kind of the pace that we, we wander through life in. We're just too busy and we need the reminder to slow down and to notice those around us. So there's the ministry of the mundane and, and the willing to be, willingness to be interrupted. And then the third is this, this discipline of, of learning to, to stay quiet, to keep our mouths shut. You've probably been in a scenario like this. You're at a park, you're at a restaurant, you're somewhere with a group of friends, maybe even friends from church. And someone says something that you just just kind of gets under your skin. And you can't wait to respond. Maybe maybe it's something that you you completely disagree with, or maybe it's something that you know is just blatantly incorrect, just completely wrong. The temptation is to speak out right away, to to correct the other person, to speak your mind, or or to maybe even start an argument because you are sure you're going to win. Okay, maybe you've never been there, but I've been. So this fall, we're going to focus on stepping into these sorts of difficult conversations about doing the hard work of reconciliation in a world where we don't all agree. We're going to focus on that during Sundays in the fall. And doing that sort of work that all Christ followers are called to do, being ambassadors of reconciliation, it does call us to speak up and speak out. So I'm not telling us that we're not called to speak up and speak out. But sometimes opening our mouths causes more harm than good. And sometimes the way in which we open our mouths carries a hidden agenda. Holding our tongues flies in the face of today's culture. It, it can say, I value the person in front of me more than I value being right. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said that it's in this discipline that we combat our evil thoughts by refusing to allow them to be expressed by words. Sometimes the best way we serve and love our neighbor is simply by choosing not to argue with them, by closing our mouths. So so what does it look like for you this week to, to find ways to serve others in everyday life in the mundane in your neighborhood? What does it look like for you to, to become available, to be interruptible? And what does it look like for you to make the conscious choice to not argue? What if each of us woke up each and every morning this week and we had one simple prayer? God, bring me someone to serve today. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone who lives in your house, a spouse or a child. Maybe it's someone in line at the grocery store or or someone who's waiting outside a coffee shop. Let's build a rhythm or a routine of following Jesus's example of serving the people who are placed on our paths. Amen.